to me, immersive media and immersive technology, it has a profound ability to instill empathy. Yes. Out of any other thing that humankind has ever created, ever worked on together, we have never had such a large impact on the ability to see through each other's eyes. Okay, welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host for the show. My goal with the Post Money Plan is to liberate you from financial oppression and empower you to build selfless wealth. On the podcast, I explore all things personal finance, economics, and investing related. If you want to know more, you can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. If you want to learn to save money without feeling like you're giving up your lifestyle and would benefit from a much more hands-on approach, you should sign up for my one-on-one financial coaching program at savepainfree.com. Okay, so the audio got a little messed up at the beginning of this one, so bear with me. It gets better as you go through. Cool. Is, were, were you yeah, actually recording yeah. that? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Today I've come in and crashed a virtual reality meetup group because I wanted to get a sense of the economic potential of virtual reality. So I came in and asked if I could borrow some of the brain power of some of this meetup group, some of the members here, and get a little discussion going on the economic potential of virtual reality. I got three of them here with me uh, right now. So could you guys just each take a turn and introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Eric Liga. I'm the co-founder of the Houston VR Meetup. We've been uh, meeting in Houston for about four years now. Also done some writing for Upload VR and Road to VR. My name is Josh Bankston. I am also a co-founder and help run the Houston VR Dev Meetup. I do a lot of work with VR consulting, building facilities, and creating new experiences. Uh, I'm Josh Rubin. I'm co-founder and CEO of a company called Z3VR. We're building a new methodology for schizophrenia treatment using virtual reality there. Okay, cool. So, like I said, I want to be exploring the economic potential of VR because it's exciting to think about what it could mean for the future and the possibilities it could unlock. I'm just kind of curious as to what that might portend for businesses and how they might be able to use it. But just to start from the very ground basics, could you guys address the questions of what is meant by virtual reality and and what the difference is between virtual reality and augmented reality? Sure. Uh, Virtual reality, the the idea is total sensory substitution. You're putting on a a headset and you feel like you're in a completely different environment. the ideal would involve full body tracking and so forth. We're not quite there with all of that, but we're making a lot of progress. Augmented reality overlays additional elements into the world you see around you. So you're actually perceiving the world directly, but it's adding things into it, information or, or additional visuals on top of what you're seeing. So that's, that's the distinction there. Yeah, so what really intrigues me is what the use cases are for virtual reality. So What do you guys think are some of the coolest, most exciting things VR could be used for in the future? So I think just to start off, one of the most interesting things for VR is when you start talking about training. 
VR is really great for simulating anything that is dangerous, expensive, or just hard to come by generally. And that's obviously a very broad term that can be applied across several different industries. And I, I think we have a couple examples that we've got preloaded there. So Josh, you want to take a look? Yeah, yeah. So speaking to the example of like hard to reproduce yeah. issues that you can train on, uh, there was a great simulation that we ran through on our visit out to San Francisco was actually a firefighter training. So you put on this vest and you had an actual hose with a little vibe tracker on the end of it. So it knew where you were pointing the hose nozzle and you had to walk around an environment the closer you got to a fire in the environment, the suit actually heated up. So you started to feel the pressure and the heat oh, from the cool. fire. And then once you let off the, the nozzle and you start letting the water out of the hose to put out the fire, the hose actually pulled back too. So you felt the force of the water, you felt the heat and the pressure. So you're actually going beyond just the idea of what it is to train something. And you're also cutting back on the cost of having to have something like a firehouse where it has to be federally regulated and how many emissions that they have and all these different things and actually putting people in real danger as opposed to being able to take a bulk portion of that training process and put it into an instantly repeatable and unlimited variable environment that can continuously train people throughout that process. So to me, that sounds like a really exciting example for a lot of organizations and companies to be able to simulate experiences and training environments to train candidates and employees without having to have them go through the actual experience that might either be dangerous or expensive and end up saving a lot of money and get them more data on the situation at the same time. Definitely. Now, one of the, the best examples I've seen as far as cost savings there's a company called ITI that does crane training. And I went out to uh, one of their facilities, uh, the Houston Area Safety Council, and they have a crane training simulator in VR. The, the actual joysticks you use from different models of cranes, you can swap them out so that it's the exact ones you'd be using. And you go through the whole process. But a traditional crane training simulator, it costs about $100,000. It's the size of an entire room. And you know, this is something that you can actually collapse down to a Pelican case, put on an airplane, and take overseas to, for example, test someone to see if they actually have the, the skills that they claim they're going to have. Plus, they can simulate things that would be dangerous or difficult to simulate in a traditional simulator, like having a cable snap or having one of your supports sink into the soil. Those are things that even experienced operators will freeze up on because it's unfamiliar. They may know in, in the book how they're supposed to respond, but you know, presented within real life, the, the adrenaline kicks in and they freeze. So having them be able to do that over and over again gets them comfortable with it so that if it happens in real life, they can deal with it. But, uh, I mean, the cost of one of those simulators was, I think, about $2,000 compared to a $100,000 simulator, and you could fit six or eight of them in the same space that a, a traditional simulator would be in. So the, the crane training industry has uh, embraced it in a huge way. Yeah, that sounds absolutely huge, like a game changer in that situation changing the entire cost structure for employee training to prep them to be ready for the environment and situations that they need to be ready for. Another thing I'd like to say to consider about is that you have all these people that might be interested in working in this industry, but they don't necessarily have the money or they're not physically local to the training facility to be able to try out these different professions, like the firefighter or the crane training. This is something that can open up to a whole new wider audience to train them and introduce them to an industry that they might be perfect for. 
that they didn't have access to beforehand. I'm sure this is already under works, but I would think the military would Absolutely. be extremely 100%. interested yes. in, in this. Yes. You have some some of a similar situation with the the crane simulation taking up a room, costing a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars sometimes for simulators for engineers or combat training or whatever, and uh, taking a large staff of people too. Sometimes it takes up to fifteen people just to staff just the simulator. So if you can take that and shrink it down, put it in a box that can go anywhere on the planet, can be shipped there almost overnight anywhere, and is replaceable parts that can be bought off-the-shelf equipment, it fundamentally changes how you perceive dangerous training or complex training. If I can bring up one other thing. So we've been talking about training and preparation for a task, and I think and that's largely in, in virtual reality, right? I think something that, that's important to bring up since you have introduced augmented reality to your audience is the idea of just-in-time information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been, I've been actually, I've had the pleasure of working with a couple of NASA organizations over the last couple of months, and this is a huge thing that they're thinking about. This is just the, the use case that's most fresh in my mind, so I'll use it. But when, when an astronaut, consider an astronaut going to Mars. If you're in low Earth orbit, you can communicate with your astronauts very quickly so that you can communicate procedures for different things and kind of like walk them through various, various jobs. And everything. When you're 30 million miles from Earth, there's like a 20 minute latency between the astronaut and your ground crew. So you need to have all these very complex procedures preloaded and ready to go. And so that the way that they're solving that problem today is through the use of augmented reality, specifically the Microsoft HoloLens. So that's one example. Others would be in advanced manufacturing. When you're walking through the manufacturing floor and you need to see a lot of data all at once, augmented reality is a great way to visualize that data. So mentioning the delay in space sure, yeah. space communication, mm-hmm. that just reminds me of growing up. I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and oh, I didn't know that. We try to call family and talk to them Uh, to mm -hmm. communicate. And back then, the latency on a phone call would be so bad that a lot of times, if the connection wasn't great, you'd be saying something like, hey, how's it going? And then there's this awkward pause. And they're like, oh, hey. (laughs) As as you started to say your next thing. And then it gets like overlapped where Mm -hmm. you're saying the next thing. And it gets all jumbled up. And it gets very confusing. So I can imagine when they're trying to communicate signals over a long distance and uh, interact with each other, that that would get very convoluted very quickly. Absolutely right. I will say I'm a lot more bullish on augmented reality than virtual reality as far as long-term economic Economic impact. impact, I think the, the use cases go a lot further because the ideal with augmented reality, we're not quite there yet, but I mean, a lot of the pieces are starting to come together is you have a pair of glasses you put on, you walk out of your house, you go out into the world and you have information overlaid on what you're seeing. So you go into a foreign country, you look at the street signs and the menus and it translates them in real time. Uh, You see people and it brings up their name and their job title. You're looking at, you know, an engine and it's labeling all the parts. The ability to take a tremendous bank of knowledge and overlay it onto what you're seeing so that you're sort of an instant expert on whatever you're doing has incredible potential, uh, transformative. I think it will be transformative on the level of the smartphone, whereas VR, I love it to pieces, but it has more niche potential. Right. So do you think of it more as like a game or a gimmick? 
Well, no, not I mean, not necessarily, but, no. Uh, I mean, entertainment is definitely going to be an important part of what it can do because when you put yourself in a completely different environment, there's a level of escapism there that's beyond what you can get with, with film and other media. But I think that once good face tracking and body tracking gets solved, that it will allow you to do incredible social things. Uh, it will eliminate distance in social relationships. You can be sitting in a room with four or five of your best friends from around the world watching a movie, joking, playing cards as if you really were there. Uh, I think that's tremendously useful, and it has certain business uses. I think for business meetings yeah. and so forth, that will be good once they get the facial tracking and the body tracking so you can get the facial expressions and the body language that are so important for in-person meetings. But I think that the broad applicability of, of AR, where it goes everywhere with you and it can overlay on top of anything, is just a total paradigm shift in how we interact with the world. Absolutely. VR can take you anywhere to any space but it, it can be isolating you can have multiplayer experiences where other people come in and they're in their own vr headsets but you're still occluded from your your surroundings whereas augmented reality you get to see each other you get to work with each other and ideally you all have the same headsets and you're all looking at the same hologram or, or what have you to kind of pull together what you guys were saying about just-in-time data and using ar for the future uh, of business one of the big uh, key things about AR and using human interaction with all these this plethora of data we have these days. I mean, we have just overabundance of data, but computers and machine learning algorithms and things like that only go so far. The human really excels at pattern recognition. So being able to take these mountains of data and visualize them in a just-in-time yeah. way allows the human to excel and recognize those patterns that might not be inherently obvious to a computer algorithm mm -hmm. and allows us to act on it more readily. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's a lot of concern for people saying nowadays that like, oh, computers are going to replace us for all these things in the economy. But kind of speaking to what you're saying, is it seems like there's going to be a lot of potential <laughs> where there's actually synergy combining our skill for pattern recognition with a computer's database. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, there will definitely be jobs that will be replaced by computers. I mean, it's, and you see it with any shift in, in technology, but it will also open up new jobs and, and new potential. So it will, there will be some retraining and shifting and so forth. But actually, one of the things I'm, I'm most bullish on that doesn't get talked about much is blue-collar VR. I think because you know, traditional computer work, you're sitting at a keyboard in front of a screen. Uh, it's, it's this very indirect, very abstract method of interacting with things. VR, at least in the direction that it's headed, where you have good body tracking and so on, is very. it can be very physical, very tactile, very interactive. So you know, people who are more used to doing, you know, interacting with the world and interacting with their jobs in that way actually have tremendous potential to shift into a VR-based work environment. So I think that while people kind of tend to worry about these sort of blue-collar jobs being the things that get eliminated, I think actually in the long term there may be very strong potential for blue-collar work in VR. That's uh, actually very interesting that you mentioned that. I was just thinking earlier, have you guys seen the movie Surrogates? No. So that one was with Bruce Willis, and that came out quite a while ago, so yeah. this isn't even new, but that was where people were looking out to the future and what does this like virtual reality mean mm. potentially? And they kind of envisioned this dystopian world where no one was interacting with each other, literally, because right. everyone's using surrogates to go and live their lives for them. So it'd be kind of like a robot that 
looks like them and goes out in the world for them mm-hmm. and they stay home safe. Right. So, you, you know, it, it's super interesting. Like, so that exists today. Like you, if you look at, there's a robot that NASA's built called the R2 robot. So it's basically the function of the robot is to go do tasks that are extremely dangerous for a human to do. And, you know, the mechanism of control was up for grabs, essentially, for the last 15 years of this robot's existence. So now, a year ago, they started experimenting with the HTC Vive. So the Vive has the capability of of tracking your entire body. And so essentially, all they did was map the tracking capability from the Vive to the robot. And now I can control the robot in virtual reality and see what it's seeing and carry out the task. So super similar to what you just said with the surrogates. That's a potential future. So when are we going to get down to like the Marianas Trench? With the- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. So then are they going to send people to Mars or are they going to send robots? Yeah. So sorry to stick on the space talk if we're, if we're talking about <laughs> like general economics, but NASA is currently planning a manned mission to Mars in 2028. So and by manned we mean by manned we mean we mean flesh and bone oh, men okay. and women. So yeah, they'll they'll be going up in what's called the Orion space capsule in 2028. But wouldn't, so. wouldn't that fit the definition of a, a dangerous task? <laughs> that is correct. It's dangerous for many more reasons than you might think. The issue then is obviously the latency. You know, you can't control that robot at the same. Move you know, your arm. Yeah, 20, 20 minutes, minutes later. later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap, I'm moving too far. <laughs> exactly. And, well, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a good point. Yeah. Did you guys have any other use cases that were... Do you want to talk uh, medicine? I, I could talk medicine all day if, if you're interested. You should really talk about yeah. it some. Okay, great. So we were, we were, talking, about, we were talking about training earlier. I think the, the applications for training in medicine are massive. A human cadaver today that medical schools buy, roughly $400,000. Super expensive to, to simulate. That's their version of, of simulating a surgery um, on a person. Now I have this $2,000 set up in which I can sit in my dorm room and practice a complex surgery over and over and over again. And how does that work exactly? So essentially you just recreate a model of a human in virtual reality. And then you give the medical student the, the tools that he or she would have in a surgical suite in virtual reality, and you operate on this virtual human just over and over again. And it can even be specific. I remember there yeah. was one use case where they were doing scans of the heart, and then they would actually take the specific defect as scanned yes. from the patient yeah. and have the doctor practice the surgery in advance yeah. so that they knew exactly what they were going to be dealing with Absolutely. as they got in. There, so, there were conjoined twins that wow. the doctor said they would not have survived being separated, had they not been able to train beforehand in VR. Yeah. Wow. So that's the, that's the kind of training impact that it has. I was just going to ask, where are we at in terms of the disconnect between what you see, Dexterity. what you see in VR versus like where your hand literally is? Like, is there any lag or where you move your hand? It's exactly what you would like be seeing. Yeah. So the lag is so small that it's not distinguishable to the human eye today. Right. For tracking, for specific tracking points, the latency has gotten very, very low and the accuracy has gotten very high. The challenge is the number of points that are tracked. So we can track where your hand is in VR, but currently there's not a lot of great tracking that gets all the way down to the exact positions of your fingers as you're shifting them, elbows and knees and so forth. I mean, yes, you can strap a tracking puck on each one of them, but it's cumbersome and it doesn't get done much. 
So full body tracking and tracking of like individual digits and things like that, that's lagging behind. That's, that's something that still needs a lot of work. But for things that are tracked, for the specific points that are yeah. tracked, latency is, is reaching very close to imperceptible and the accuracy is sub-millimeter. Right. Something I'd like to, to point out, a very high-level view of all this, is that this is still before the tidal wave is crashing for the industry. 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you think about it like how tech has evolved the last few decades, we're starting to see a trend of things taking three to maybe four generations before they start to really catch on like wildfire. I mean, the iPhone didn't really catch on until like the 3GS. And we've only had the iPhone for about 10 years. So this is a potential opportunity for so many people of so many walks of life to start to get involved, to start to dream big and start up their own projects. Because as we're talking about, there are all these hurdles. And maybe someone out there listening to this podcast is going to be the person that solves that problem of tracking to millimeter uh, accuracy, to lower latency, all these different little things that add up to that surreal experience. The best contribution I can make is to say, oh, maybe they can have a glove with the sensors. Right. Well, that was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a breakthrough. Oh my gosh. Yes. The, the, the traditional gloves they used uh, used flex sensors, which you have to calibrate each time and which wear out over time. Uh, they change their profile. Yeah. Uh, also, people just uh, they end up feeling constricted wearing gloves. And then you have to have them sized differently for different people. So, and there's. Gloves are a viable use. NASA uses them. Uh, there's a lot of like industrial and design uses that use gloves, but for your average at-home user, they're hesitant to go that direction. Yeah. The VR in the 90s used gloves. Did. Mm -hmm. Glove track. Heavily. Yeah. If you're interested, one more point on, on medicine. Digital therapeutics <clears throat> is something that everyone will ubiquitously use in the next five years. I think it's going to fundamentally change healthcare, and let me tell you why. Right now, you have dozens of startups that are building, for instance, mine. But we're 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 building a, a therapeutic to complement antipsychotic drugs um, that are coming out to to treat schizophrenia. This theme is pervasive right now in in research modes, if that makes sense. So many universities are, are their medical departments are focused on creating these VR therapies. So it's being used from everything from physical therapy to autism to general anxiety. I mean, it's all over the map. You've kind of lost me a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So what does that even mean, like VR therapy? I guess I'll just describe my product, right? So what we're building right now, if I'm a schizophrenic patient in the U.S. today, I go to the doctor and I'm prescribed an antipsychotic. Antipsychotics treat things like delusional thought and auditory, visual, tactile hallucinations. But in most cases, they actually make the cognitive deficits and the, the negative symptoms, for instance, like anxiety and depression and, and mania, um, they actually make those things much worse. And so we're using virtual reality therapy to combat that. Specifically, it's called cognitive enhancement therapy. Another one of my favorite examples yeah. in, in that same space sure. was the work, I can't remember the researchers that did it, but they... We're working with paralyzed mm, patients, mm, right? Yeah. People that they said they weren't going to have, have feeling or, or restored motor function to these limbs that were paralyzed. Okay, so <laughs> they put them, they put this sensor scalp on their head, and they trained them into thinking about walking or moving, and it moved them in a virtual experience while they were wearing a VR headset. They trained them for a certain amount of time. Then after they were accustomed to that, then they put them in this like mechanized gantry system that moved their appendages for them while they thought about moving them. 
the really crazy interesting thing about this is that it tricked the mind into thinking that it was actually using its limbs. And so it started to regrow neural pathways wow. to communicate again where they thought it was permanently severed. That's, crazy. That's yeah. crazy. I think one of the earliest examples of VR in, in therapeutic work was in treating burn victims. They have to change the dressing on burns every day, and it's an excruciating process. And by putting patients into a VR environment, they'll put them into the really early one was this cold world, and they had they threw snowballs at snowmen and yeah. so on. And by putting them in a virtual environment that completely disassociated them from what was physically happening to their bodies and was putting their mind into a, a very different mindset with you know cold and, and so on, uh, it was actually more effective than opioids in pain control. Yeah. So. You see a lot of that for, uh, we're also doing, helped out with a pilot for pain and anxiety management using VR, the Memorial Hermann Prevention and Recovery Center some years ago. Since it's a voluntary facility, when people would start going through detox, they would want to check themselves out because they'd start freaking out. And so they'd say, you know what? The paperwork takes some time. We're definitely going to get this started for you. We're just going to sit you down. We're going to put you in this calming environment in VR while we're getting all that ready. And they put them in uh, Eden River HD uh, by uh, Unello and Aaron Lemke out of Austin. And they'd be floating down this river and these animals would be you know, flying past and swimming and so on. And they would calm down tremendously. And by the time they got back with the paperwork, they actually would say, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm feeling all right now. Wow. I, I've stopped okay. freaking out. That's and cool. so by kind of taking them out of their immediate environment, putting them in this calming environment, they were able to manage the anxiety. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so I'm going to try to pin you guys to a, a specific uh, <laughs> definitive opinion. Sure. So. Of all the things we've been talking about, and you can bring something up that we haven't mentioned. Sure. But for each of you to pick one thing that you think is going to be the biggest potential of VR in the, in the next, like, decade or so. All right, Kempai. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, this, is a, this is a question I've, I've mulled over for quite some time. And I, I'm going to take a more general response to this in the sense that, to me, immersive media and immersive technology, it has a profound ability to instill empathy. Yes. Yeah. Out of any other thing that humankind has ever created, ever worked on together, we have never had such a large impact on the ability to see through each other's eyes, to experience each other's experiences and grow together, even if we don't live on the same continent. And so in my mind, the, the ultimate potential of VR <laughs> is the ability to reshape how we perceive each other and encourage empathy to each other that is an awesome answer yeah. <laughs> i think it's certainly one of the most beautiful possible potentials and i'm, I'm very hopeful on that front i'll, I'll take a, a slightly different tack at least on the the vr front but related at least once we get good body and face tracking and so on i think that vr will effectively eliminate the impact of physical distance on social relationships uh that you'll be able to be very close friends with people who are geographically very separated from you. So where you physically are located is going to become a much smaller aspect of your, your social interactions. If you go to AR, the fact that you can have you know, an entire internet's worth of knowledge being overlaid in real time onto the things you're seeing, I think is going to be, it's going to transform what it means to be human and the way it means to interact in the world, because that will all become part of us and part of how we're interacting. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's it's really hard to top those answers. Um, I typically the answer I give to that question is the try. empathy answer. I, I think that's that's like number one. I guess I think a lot about convergence of 
different technologies. So it, we, we talk a lot about IoT. And so all of this, all of these devices that we're creating, they're all producing data and AR will be our way of interacting with that data. Um, so I just think this platform will just fundamentally change how humans interact with computers, period. And that, that's my answer. So I like that. Yeah. All right. So just to wrap it up and yeah. kind of land this point. Sure, please. <laughs> are you guys aware of any companies that have got some major funding? In space? We know one. Yes. yes. Uh, there's, yeah. there's one very obvious candidate mm-hmm. that actually should be making some fairly significant announcements next week. Magic Leap is an AR company that has literally billions of dollars in funding and backing from a lot of majors like Google and Horowitz. Yeah. We actually don't know a ton about what they're doing because they've been incredibly tight-lipped and have had some ironclad NDAs. So as as much of it is speculation as actual demonstrated product. But uh, they are probably going to be first to market with a a really compelling AR experience that's got a broader target than HoloLens. Yeah. And who knows, maybe the military has already been down this VR road 50 years ago and they just never shared it with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. All right, well... Thanks again, guys. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. Really enjoyed and, uh, it. Really appreciate the insight. It's uh, very insightful. Absolutely. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. By definition. Yeah. Yes. Right. I'm excited about the empathy. Yeah. <laughs> totally. For sure. And that's that's just a facet, right? That we're, there's so much we don't understand about our, our human psyche and our, and our <laughs> the way we think about things and our, and how our mind works. So VR is a unique tap into how that's going to unfold for us. Totally. All right. Thanks again for joining us and catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast.